was taking a road trip this summer. And when did that? No one. Very few people. You're taking a road trip? Taking a road trip with kids? A little bit different story when you have kids in the car with you, right? Um, when I was growing up, I remember that our family, we took a couple of road trips, long road trips, cross-country road trips. They were usually because of a move that we were making, but we went from California all the way to the panhandle of Florida, and then we, a couple summers later, we went from the panhandle of Florida all the way to Colorado. So these were long road trips, but we had a pretty nice setup, my brothers and I, because our family, we had this sweet 1990s-era conversion van. Oh man, it was awesome. Brown with the rust-colored stripe down the side. And on the inside, it was completely decked out. It had a, a whole kitchenette, you know, it had a, this swiveling table with these two chairs that went around it, and, and a sink, and there was even a TV in there with a DVD player and a place where we could hook up our Nintendo 64. And yes, there was even a toilet. And so I think as, you know, a 10 or 11-year-old kid traveling on a really long road trip, I don't think that there was too much that we could complain about as far as our setup. But it was inevitable, after a couple hours on the road, maybe even just a couple minutes on the road, that we would ask the question, are we there yet? All right? The, the notorious question of every child relegated to the rear seat on a road trip, to mom and dad up in the front, are we there yet? And it doesn't seem to matter, you know, what distractions we can come up with the road trip. It, it doesn't matter if, if, you know, we're getting our, our shoulders black and blue because we're punching each other every single time that we see a Volkswagen Beagle go by or we're doing the, the road trip bingo or the license plate game or whatever it is that we're trying to movies, playing video games in the car. Still, we ask that question, are we there yet? And there's a couple different ways that you can ask that question. There's kind of a, a couple attitudes that can accompany that question. You, you might ask that question because, because you're just so thrilled, so excited about the destination and where you're headed that there's like this anxious energy that's building up in your heart and, and you just want to get there, right? Or you can ask that question because you're tired, you're bored, you're, you're frustrated, you're, you're weary, maybe even a little bit angry because you're still in the car and it's taking too long. Life sometimes is a journey. And as Christians, we know the destination, we, we know where we're headed, but do you ever ask that question of God? God, are we there yet? And when you think about it, and when you think about the times in your life when you maybe ask that question of God, what's the attitude that accompanies that question? 
Do you ask it because you're just so thrilled, you're just so excited about that destination that there's that anxious energy in you as you go about your life? Or, or do you sometimes find that you ask that question maybe with some sarcasm or frustration or weariness or, or anger at God for, for something that he hasn't followed through on? Or maybe you're just tired and weary. Are we there yet? And today, as we look at the words of the Apostles' Creed, they're going to help us with that question. They're going to help us to know and understand the answer to that question. And they're going to help us to ask that question with the right attitude. Because in the Creed, we confess that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus' ascension sometimes becomes a little bit of an afterthought as we think about all the things that Jesus did for us and for our salvation. I mean, we, we love to celebrate Jesus' flight heavenward through the clouds. But do we always understand the implications that it has for our life of faith? Do we always understand how monumental it is that Jesus has ascended, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God? And as we've been talking about, this is so important because as we've been talking about, the creed really helps us to rebel against, reject those narratives and the philosophies of our world. And so today what we're going to reject, we're going to push away is the idea and the thought of instant gratification. I don't know if you can add ism to the end of that or not, but if you can, then that's the ism today, that and materialism. But agree or disagree, we live in a world, we live in a culture that expects instant gratification. It it expects things to happen quickly, immediately. Especially in our digital age, right? My video should download now. My funds should be available in my bank account now. Why hasn't he answered my email yet? It's been two minutes. Why hasn't she answered my text? And it can flow over into much more important parts of our lives. Now, my marriage should be better, it should be fixed now. My therapy should help me with my anxiety right now. And so sometimes when we're faced with things that take time, and they, and they take effort, and they take energy, and maybe there's some challenges that we have to overcome, that can be hard for us. It can frustrate us. Sometimes it may not even just make sense in our minds because we expect everything immediately. But how does such a thought and how does such an attitude fit into your life as a Christian? How does it fit into the the framework of Christianity 
and what we believe and what we confess in the creed, God desires to transform you. To transform you into His own glory. A glory that we get a glimpse of in Jesus' ascension. But that transformation is not immediate. It's not instantaneous. It works itself out over time. And even well before the digital age, that was difficult even for Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, as we heard in that description from Luke, the opening to his book of Acts, and we, we heard the ascension account, as Luke described it, they're Jesus' closest followers, they asked what they thought was an incredibly legitimate question. They asked this, they said, Lord, are you at this time, now, going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are we there yet? And the disciples, they understood something. They understood that Jesus came to fix what was broken. Right? This world is broken. It's something that, that it's important for us to understand as well. Not only is this world broken, but people are broken. You're broken. I'm broken. And so we think that Jesus came to fix such brokenness. I understand that there's a brokenness that we have, a vertical brokenness. We have a brokenness with God, our Heavenly Father. Because we, we transgress His laws, we, we disobey Him, we, we rebel against His holy desires for how we would lead our lives we push against his will for us. And because of that vertical brokenness is there, then we also have horizontal brokenness. There's brokenness in our relationships with other people. We hurt and we hate. There's anger in our lives. And I think that everyone really wants that brokenness fixed. I think any rational human being would say that, that they would want that brokenness fixed, that they would want peace, that they would want kindness in the world, that they would want everyone to show love to one another. They'd want that safety and that security that would be provided by that but the problem is we can't find the solution. And, and most of the time it's because we can't get ourselves out of the way. Because of, of our selfish attitudes and behaviors. And we want this immediate, easy solution. One that doesn't take work. One that is instantaneous. And so we might wonder with the disciples... Now that Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of all people, now that He has risen again in resurrected glory and power, we're there. The kingdom is restored. Everything is fixed. This brokenness is gone. And that restoration, that, that fix, I mean, that's part of the appeal of Christianity and Jesus. 
Well, because I, I've clarified my problem. I know that I'm broken. I know that I have sinned against God, my Heavenly Father. I know that because of that brokenness that I have with God above, then that it, it disrupts and destroys the relationships that I have with other people. And so when I've come to know that Jesus is my Savior, that He has forgiven me, that He died on the cross for my sins, that I am restored, I am forgiven, I am God's own child, then it should all be good. Fixed. Completely. So let's do a little show of hands. And if you're not a committed Christian here today, and you're exploring this, or as you're watching, I wish you could see the room. I want you to look around. So what I want you to do is, as I ask these questions, if you hit on any of them, if the answer is yes to any of them, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to keep it up. So do you sometimes struggle with your faith? With doubts? With insecurities? Do you, do you sometimes get angry at other people? Do you, do you struggle with resentment or envy or jealousy? Do you sometimes wonder if you've been the best husband? Or maybe you know I haven't been the best husband or the best wife or the best son or the best daughter or the best aunt or the best uncle or the best brother or the best sister. I don't think there's any hands that aren't raised in the room right now. And if you didn't raise your hand, I would call you a liar. And my hand's raised too. And so you put your hands down. But no one didn't raise their hand. Everyone raised their hand. We all still struggle. But maybe we wonder why. Do I need to keep struggling? You're asking God, am I there yet? Why isn't this fixed? Why isn't this brokenness gone and out of my life? And since instant gratification is such a part of our lives, we might get frustrated with God. We might get angry with God or ourselves because it just feels like this whole Christianity thing, Jesus, it just isn't working. But if you struggle in your life as a Christian, that does not mean that your faith is flawed. It does not mean that you are a hypocrite. Well, there's a temptation for us there to ask that question, are we there yet? From a place of weariness and frustration and anger. But the creed helps us to push aside instant gratification, to push that aside and commit ourselves to that struggle. To commit ourselves to that life of faith that is growing, that is learning, that, that is constantly pushing forward because of the grace of Jesus. As we remember Jesus' ascension, that we can be okay with the struggle. We can be okay with the struggle because we are filled up with so much excitement, so much joy, this, this anxious energy about the destination that we know is ahead. And so there's a clarity 
found in Jesus' ascension. Vertical conflict with God, it is over. Christ's work is complete. You are forgiven. Christ has conquered death. That vertical brokenness is fixed. And you are restored. Jesus, he sits at the right hand of God to intercede for you. He is present everywhere with his power and his strength to encourage you and help you move forward in your life. It was for those very weaknesses and struggles that Jesus died on the cross. And he will continue in your life to work to restore you. And so as we've been talking throughout this series, clarity that the creed offers, we've also been talking about symmetry, the balance in our life of faith. And the symmetry that's offered here in the creed is that we both rest in Christ's completed work, but we also strive. We also strive forward in our life of faith. We also strive for the glory of God. We labor on to his glory. Look at Jesus' answer to the disciples' question. He said, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And just earlier in that section, we heard how Jesus had given this remarkable promise to his followers. A remarkable promise that he gives also to you that there is this gift, this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to discuss that even more in a few weeks. But as the Holy Spirit comes into your life, as the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, you will grow. You will mature in your faith. You will grow so that your life reflects more and more that glory of God. You will grow so that you, you crave more and more of Jesus and his forgiveness in your life so that your life will reflect more and more clearly the reality of that forgiveness, the reality of everything that Jesus has done for you. And so if your life is a mess, you know that Christ is active in that mess right now with his Holy Spirit. When you encounter difficulty, when, when you struggle, Christ is there through His Holy Spirit. His presence is there to encourage and to strengthen you through that challenge, to transform you one degree of glory at a time. You know, but sometimes we want to move faster than that, right? We want to go 90 degrees at a time. We want a, a complete and total transformation immediately. But God is working one degree at a time, transforming you and your life. And so if you've believed in Jesus for five hours, five days, 55 years, Jesus is still at work through His Holy Spirit to refine you. This process of sanctification and growth a maturity of faith. That's the symmetry. That you can trust that you are fully at peace because Christ has forgiven all of your sins. You are restored to God, but you can also live righteously discontent 
Now, that's probably a phrase that I need to explain a little bit because we don't often throw discontentment and Christian and righteousness all together in one sentence. So what do you mean by living a life that is righteously discontent? It's not a, a discontentment with our blessings, what God has given to us, because the creed rejects materialism. The creed reminds us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that there is a much better place, that there is a place in store for us that offers so much more than anything this world can give us. It's not a discontent with our blessings. It's not a discontent with the pace of God's blessing because we reject instant gratification. I want to be righteously discontent is to know that destination. To be so thrilled, so eager, so excited to get there. That you live with that anxious energy in your life. That you live and and you want to see more and more Jesus. You want to see more and more of Jesus' work flowing through your life. You want to see yourself growing more and more in that faith. It means that you take sin more and more seriously. It means that you flee faster and harder away from those temptations. That you will grow and you will strive more and more to labor and to toil, carry Christ's burden in a life that reflects His glory and brings glory to His name. Live righteously discontent. And that same symmetry will also be present in our community. In the community of faith that God forms us through his word, as he brings us together, we also want to recognize that symmetry. So even as we ask the question of ourselves and we reflect, which side of this am I on? Do, Do I need to rest more in Christ's completed work because I'm trying to do too much? Or maybe do I need to strive and and toil and, and labor more? Even as we reflect on that individually, we also think about how it fits into the role that we play for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That we understand, no, we're not there yet. And so, We treat each other with grace and compassion. And we extend forgiveness. We don't excuse actions and behaviors that are inconsistent with God's word. No, we're we're clear about that. But when we stumble and when we fall, we are there for each other to extend God's grace and mercy once again. that we have patience and we have humility, without the the facade that we have our life all figured out, that we don't struggle. So that if I were to come to you this week and I were to say, man, I have been a lousy husband and a lousy father this week, that you wouldn't say to me, well, you know, I read this book, gave me the five steps to being the best husband in the world and having the best marriage and, and the seven 
things that you need to do in order to be the, the, the best parent, and man, it's really working for me. Like, maybe you'll get there eventually, but you can start by saying, brother, I feel you. I know I, I struggle too. And maybe right now my struggle is with something else. Maybe it's with pride or it's with envy, but, but I know how hard it is when you struggle with that. Thanks be to God that we know that Christ has forgiven us. Thanks be to God that we know His incredible grace and mercy. And, and you know what I can tell you is I can tell you that Christ is there for you. That Christ is present in your life and He will strengthen you and He will restore you. And I know that because He sits at the right hand of God. He has ascended. And you can rest in His completed work and He will strengthen you to keep struggling, keep striving to be the best husband you can be or to be the best father that you can be. But only because of the strength that Christ gives you. And then maybe you'll get into the practical stuff and, and the seven steps and, and the five things that you need to do where we can encourage each other and our willingness to open up about our own weaknesses and our own struggles. We can lift each other with our counsel. Because we're not there yet. We know on this journey of our life, we have not yet arrived at the destination. We aren't there personally in our lives of sanctification. We aren't there communally as a church as, as we lift and support and encourage one another. We're not there globally as we look out into the world and we see those who not, do not yet know Christ. But we can ask the question, not from frustration or anger or bitterness, but we can ask it because we are so thrilled, so excited about the destination and it fills us up with this energy. An energy and a craving to live righteously discontent, to want to see more and more of Christ Jesus in our lives. The very Christ Jesus who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen.